Well, I am rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. Okay, so at the end of last week's tuning in, you said that Janestown was a fan favorite. Yes, it's not one of my favorites. I and I figured it wouldn't be. It, it was fine. I, you know, I'm finding that I enjoy Firefly a lot more when I don't think about the like insane fandom that has grown up around it. Yeah, that's because fair. it is a charming little show that does a good job at doing what it does, but. Is it some sort of revelatory television experience? Not really. Maybe not anymore. Again, certainly I could see being watching this when it was first aired and finding it, you know, a major thing that we lost and a lot of such wasted potential. Again, even I, I think people didn't feel that it was very clear, even when it was on, that the show was not going to. This was going to be a stillborn show, and I think a lot of people didn't bother watching it because they figured, you know, well, I don't want to get invested in this kind of thing. Yeah, and, and so yes, of course, the people who were there at the beginning and even a couple of years later when it was first, you know, put on DVD. When I I saw it when it was first on DVD, and it had a bit of a cult following, and it was known again as this great TV show that didn't have a chance, and which doesn't really happen anymore. Or at least not as much as it used to. I mean, there were a lot more television shows back in this era that were canceled after one season. Yeah. That pe- I mean, there are still a lot of television shows that are canceled after one season, but not shows that anybody really cares about. Um, and that, yeah, that's interesting that that doesn't really happen anymore. Yeah. You know, because I feel like we talked about this a few episodes ago, but I do feel like if Firefly was on now, it would have gotten five seasons. Just, well, just, well, because, just because the expectations for a television show are so much lower nowadays. Yeah, and I know HBO, for example, a lot of the great shows of this era came out of HBO, and they generally have maybe had lower expectations, or they went seasonally, or they would give a show a season to find its voice, and then, you know, the second season is what's going to uh, actually, you know, it'll... Well, HBO is a lot less concerned with ratings because people pay for it. Yeah, so again, if, you know, if this show had been made several years later, maybe it would have been made on HBO or uh, or Sci-Fi or AMC or something like that, you know, because th- th- that's when these networks were starting to build programs like these. Yeah. And maybe it would have been given another chance. But again, it's it's... W- this is a point that we come to every so often on this podcast is that it maybe wasn't the quite the right time for it. Yeah, the, I, I I don't think it was. And you know, Jamestown, I, I I feel like it's it's a good episode. I liked it. I think that um, you know, I mean, I was I was cracking up with the song yeah. part. I mean, that it's was a very just in terms of a and it's a very good comic episode. You know, the bits with River and Shepherd Book and she's scared of his hair are funny. You know, the all of the different beats are really good but yeah i mean i will say it moved along at a nice clip i don't generally look at the time to see how long something is is going to go and i i I did that this time and it was like 32 minutes in and i was surprised because it felt a lot shorter than that yeah you know this is not an episode that i really remember that much and i the one failing i do think is that it is a little too comedic and it makes this really hard turn towards the end when uh uh, the guy jumps in front of jane and gets shot that really like turns on a dime and becomes this very serious look at Jane. And I don't know 
Is this the episode that you were intimating tells us about Jane? Because I don't actually think it told us that much about well, Jane. Well, there is an episode later on which will tell how all of the crew members were hired, and then you'll learn more of Jane's backstory. But to, a, a, from what we do see in this show, Jane is who we think he is. I mean, there is nothing. He was just a dude who was doing crimes. He was a mercenary. He was just kind of whoever... You know what he very much out for himself, yeah. And, and obviously, you know, later seasons would have probably gone into maybe his childhood or how he became that way. But for the most part, in terms of deep dark secrets, there are no deep dark secrets to Jane. You know, Jane is very much the person we think he is, and so for better or for worse. For be- and here we are, and again, here we are seeing you know. I guess one of the the questions that we will have about Jane that this episode is going is why does he stay with this crew? Why does he – he has a weird loyalty or doesn't to Mal but certainly much more than he did to this guy who is his partner. And in this – at the end of this, we see him starting to develop at least a sense of wondering about – Yeah. You know, the, wondering about morality at the very end and he's probably not going to change that much but the wheels are at least turning. Well, my, you know, it's so hard to say, and I, you know, I don't want to go into a road of, of speculating too much, but you know, it seems to me that that Jane probably stays with the Serenity crew because he doesn't have that many other options yeah. now, you know, and uh, why wouldn't he stay? I mean, he doesn't have to take the risks. He's not in charge, so yeah. he doesn't have to really worry about making decisions, and he gets money. You know, I mean, that's, yeah. that's that seems to be what you know. Jane, like you said, seems to be a character that is really. You take him at face value when there's not much else there. It's not to say that he's not intelligent. It's not to say that he's not um, – has some depth. I mean obviously the end of this episode implies that he, yeah. he, he has a brain and he's using it. But – You know, he's – yeah. I, I think that the thing about Jane to me is that smartly I think the show very quickly started to repivot his character into a more – less mercenary sort of demeanor because if you go back to the first episode for example yes he was openly wanting to mutiny against mal and i think pulled a gun on someone and he he was like because my question at that point was like why would mal keep him around and i can see why now because the show is slowly making him a bit more um you know, a little more concerned with what people think. He's not exactly the hardened criminal that he appeared to be in the yeah. first episode. I'm thinking of things like, you know, when he was um, going through the sick bay, and then he sort of like makes jokes and he does this whole thing about Canton. And there was another thing where he's going through Simon's stuff when he thought yeah, that yeah, Simon yeah, yeah. was gone, and then he goes in and sort of like puts it back. So he's obviously concerned with what people think of him to some degree. This is an episode that is very much about what people think of Jane. The crew obviously finds it hilarious that this is a town where Jane is idolized and he's, you know, considered a hero because they know he's kind of an asshole and he's just, you know, the big dumb guy who can shoot things. And uh, Jane himself is almost horrified by the idea because I think he realizes – I I mean I think right away he begins to realize that he is not the person that – they think he is. I mean, he. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He very much does think of himself as the asshole, the heavy, the dumb guy who can have a gun. And, you know, 
I think Jane has not allowed himself to be more than that and doesn't understand. I, I mean, at the end of the day, we are left with this question. This town will still believe of Jane Cobb as a hero. There is still, you know, which is going with the episode's larger themes of, of symbols. And well, yeah, um, that's the whole point. Yeah, that's what Mal says at the end. I mean, they do kind of put it a little on the nose, honestly, where. Oh, they, the town needs you more. You know, it's like okay, Mel, we get it. We're not stupid. Like I've seen yeah, there, there are some things where the the the, the show doesn't necessarily uh, respect its viewers' intelligence. But I also wonder if they were trying to hit the high school audience too. You know, like I maybe no there was idea. just a younger audience that they wanted to make sure got it. But I just think it's a network television thing, honestly. You know, six of one, anyway. But yeah, I think that that. It's hard because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm left wondering, you know, what the point of this episode is, though, because, yeah. yeah, it was entertaining. And is that enough? Sure, that's enough. Um, but it wants to do something deeper. And I think that's what I'm finding with Firefly is that there is a desire on the part of the show's writer and Joss Whedon that the show wants to do something deeper. It wants to well, look at something in the same way that Buffy and Angel perhaps did. But I, I don't know what that is. Well, yet. there was a. I, I read a quote from Whedon where he pitched the show as, you know, nine people looking at the void and coming up with nine different answers. And I guess a this is one of those episodes that's showing what answer does Jane find. And he Jane is living a lot. Jane has in a way bandaged the void by by hedonism. You know, he's the one he's just going to get the money. You know, he's got he's he goes to you know, the, the town starts. I mean, I mean, last week when. Mal thinks, you know, that Saffron is is, is his prize. He's horrified. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a very difference between, you know, getting a woman to be your bride and a town drinking you under the table. Sure. But at the same time, Jane slips very much into the, I'm going to party because I'm Jane Cobb. I'm going to get the girl on my arm and I'm going to get free drinks for everybody. And I'm just going to party. And after a while, he is realizing the, I mean, th- that speech where he's, you know, you have the short end of the stick and you, and he's trying to make it seem like they, they are somehow better for something but realizing what a shit hand they've been dealt and i mean this episode is jane realizing that the void still exists no matter how drunk he is one of the other the the counterpart to that is the bits with shepherd book where he's talking about how faith you know doesn't necessarily make sense but you know and it's not you know faith doesn't fix you know you can't fix faith faith is what fixes you book is someone who has looked to the void and seen god and and is using a sense of something higher than humanity in order to fill that void. So I guess, you know, to, yeah. So I guess this episode is showing, again, showing these two characters reactions to that. We've seen certainly how Mal looks at the void and uh, we're starting to learn how Simon, frankly, at the end, his conversation with Kaylee, you know, here my, you know, here his propriety is all he has. Well, there, I guess, I mean, I don't know what the void means, though. And that's my problem. Like, I, well, I get it, but I think that what, what that really sort of... I mean, my interpretation of that is the, the, these are a group of people that have really no goals except for survival. Yeah. And is that enough? You know, I, I, I don't a, know. This is a universe where humanity took to the stars and found nothing. I mean, this is not an, a universe with aliens. So to, to me, there is a degree of existential symbolism that... You know, humanity looking and not finding God, and you know, or you can't find meaning in the universe. There is no inherent meaning. The void meaning, you know, the existential void. I would say, uh, whatever your long dark night of the soul is, that is your void. And we have uh, heterosexuality. Exactly. You look into ew. <laughs> the I, I mean, the Reavers, for example, are are a little more. I know you're 
you're, you're thinking, but you're thinking of the Reavers from the movie. Think of the Reavers from the first episode. These are people who have seen the edge of space, saw nothingness, and went mad. This is a, it, it, it's a constant, it, it's a, the Reavers in their early incarnation are an embrace of meaninglessness and chaos. And I think these people on the Serenity are, have seen the same things that the people who became Reavers have seen. Yeah. Except they're figuring out ways of, they're figuring out more creative ways of addressing the void. Again, in, in Inara, it's art and eroticism. In Mal, it's honor. It's it's a sense of nobility. In Kaylee, it's friendship and, you know, little pleasures. In Jane, it's partying and violence. You know, all of these characters have a have an answer of something that's keeping them from going mad. Well, and I guess that's really, you know, to wrap it back around to this episode, I, I, I guess that's really what, what the town is doing, too. You know, yeah. I mean, because yeah. that, that, of course, is the point of the episode at the end. I mean, you know, when Mal tells us what the episode is about, um, <laughs> look, looks at the camera and says, well, you know, this is a town. Know. Yeah, um, that that this is a town that, frankly, I mean, it, it doesn't seem like these people have great lives They're they're. No, like working with mud and it just doesn't well, look that that's what that's one of the things that I do appreciate about the show is that each of these border planets or border moons they go to just seem like really horrible places yeah. to live. I mean, the, there, there's the whole bit with uh, this mutter's milk that they're drinking and uh, Simon compares it to the Egyptians and he basically says, yeah, they were they had nutrition and they were too drunk to start a riot and realize how bad their lives were. And well, we I know guess that's what's happening here. I guess maybe, you know. I think this episode is maybe the clearest example yet of why Firefly never really clicked for me is that it is fundamentally cynical about about human nature, I think. And I, I, I don't know. I, I, I Well, think about it because you get this whole thing about Earth that was and who knows what happened to Earth. Yeah. They left. They, they found this solar system. They started terraforming all these planets and moons. They have the central authority that is is you know frankly authoritarian and yeah. you know fought a civil war against them and, and 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 destroyed the the resistance and and you have basically the central planets which seem to be um, you know Blade Runner esque nineteen eighty four sort of yeah. places that the rich are very comfortable and they there's slavery and there's this kind of thing and then you have all of these border planets and border moons that are the inhabitants are eking out a, a, a subsistence a well, lifestyle and you know to me I, it's like uh, why well I guess because you want to compare this to Star Trek in a lot of ways which is both optimistic and utopian in its ways and well i don't know well, i don't i'm not really comparing it to well, star trek i am comparing it to itself and well, i think because i would say that firefly is more attempting to be more realistic at least dealing with i just i don't like that interpretation of it where realism means that people are shitty to each other no because i because think that's, it's trying that's... to comment on the shitty the way that people act shitty to each other in the real world. I don't think – no, I don't think realism is an inherent – I don't think cruelty is an inherent part of realism at all. But at the same time, if you want to – you can depict real-world cruelty because there is real-world cruelty. And I guess, yes, it's 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 – this is another episode which obliquely addresses slavery um, and it's – the the implication is that the only reason we don't have slavery is because there's no laws against there's laws against it and that you know in a well, position we do have slavery i mean 
there are something in the tens of thousands of people that are enslaved in America that's, right now. That's true. And, and I guess – so I guess my point is Firefly is, is about that, recognizes that that exists. Yeah, I guess. But I, I don't know. I don't I don't know that I buy the interpretation of Firefly as some sort of commentary on modern-day America. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I, I think it is much more mm. of a reaction to Star Trek than anything else. I mean Firefly to me has always seemed like the, 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 the type of science fiction show made by people that don't really like science fiction. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't mean to criticize the show this much, but I think that – and again, I like this episode. I thought it was very entertaining. But at the end of the day, what I'm left with is a show that that you know, and I just have to be honest and say that I just don't think that it really, um, I don't think that it is something that is aligned with my worldview or my values. You know, it it is very much a show with um, extremely sarcastic people that are at the end of their rope and mm. basically doing whatever they can do to survive, which is fine. And I understand that there are a lot of people in the world like that. I, I and I don't you know and I don't know where the show would have gone in in, in you know season five maybe it would have been a much more optimistic sort of yeah you know life affirming because uh, I think the show is about how do you find dignity and how do you find meaning in a world that is meaningless and godless and I think the you know the fact that you know hold the simple act of holding the crew together is Mal's meaning in a way. And well, and I also think that, that you know, this, this episode in particular and Firefly as a yeah. whole so far really seemed to me about what do you do when you fail? Yeah. And I, I do think that that is a profound thing to look at. I think that, that you do find a core of your strength when you fail. I think failure is actually mm. a good thing yeah. sometimes. You know, a lot of people have been writing, I've seen, about that and about, you know, failure. In, in, in a way of addressing, I guess, low self-esteem in a way, but because, you know, you have a lot of people who do feel they fail at something and think, well, I'm useless, you know, rather than these are complex things you're trying and, of course, you're going to make some mistakes until you learn, you figure out the right way of getting to about it. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, I mean, we could compare it to something like Battlestar Galactica if we ever decide to do to do that show. And, you know, from what I remember of Battlestar Galactica, it is a very... Um, it is a show that asks hard questions about what people will do to survive. I don't know that it's cynical in the same way that Firefly seems mm. to be. And so I think that's really the difference there. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like because to me, it's it's when you fail in Firefly, you end up on a border moon enslaved by some asshole. And that to me is just a little too far. If yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I get what you mean. At the same time, there are assholes with power and they are enslaving people. And I guess because I, I would say that this episode does does give the the episode does give the mutters some dignity and at least oh sure you, you yeah. know and I mean frankly as Jane goes and hangs out and parties with him he does begin to develop sympathies for them which again says about him but makes it very clear that these are people who do have sympathy who do who do have sympathetic qualities they aren't just you know yeah and, and and i mean to be clear i would much rather hang out with the mutters than i would hang out with the the magistrate and his yeah. weird son <laughs> and i do want to talk about that subplot because i find it very interesting yeah it aligns very nicely with jane's sub jane's plot in this episode but yeah i think that you know there is something to that where i think like for 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 example you know that that scene with um they're all sitting around in the bar and, and the guy starts to sing the folk song about jane yeah you know, the hero of canton it's a really catchy song and it's and very well written simon Great. reaction to this is probably yeah. Is, yeah. is wonderful this is what it must be <laughs> um yeah i mean every I, I do like the fact that the characters the one thing i will say for firefly is that the characters more often than not except maybe for jane 
do really come across as 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 fully formed, yeah. you know, right from the get go, which I appreciate. I mean, I think that's probably a hallmark of most of Joss Whedon's shows, but it all it's also true that a lot of his characters change fundamentally over the course of the show. So maybe that's more in line with how that works. Yeah, but I do I do appreciate the fact that I mean that's a very it's a beautifully shot scene. Um, the lighting of it is very warm. There's a lot of like, you know, it's, it's all very sort of like, uh, 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 you know, natural wood colors and things like that. Yeah. And it looks very pastoral in a way, even though it's very dirty and it's very, um, you know, it, 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 yeah, it, it's very dirty. And I want to say, you know, you, we were talking about how you didn't like how Western a lot of the clothing were. With this episode, I think does very well with the costuming. I, um, I think so, too. Everybody's like, the guy who's singing the song, I'm like, what the fuck is that hat? But... None of the, you know, or like the kid at the end who hands him the knife and he's wearing like this like bonnet thing. But people, but I, it does a very good job of number one, making this town very visually distinct because they're not wearing Old West costumes. And it's also, this is obviously whatever they could cobble together to, you know, from the little scraps they had. And frankly, the fact that there is a very deliberate fashion going on shows even these people are being creative about, you know, their clothing, even though they have no ability to be. Yeah, absolutely. You know, th- th- I, I mean, I, I would say the episode does some very subtle characterization of this town by they have the same things that every other town does, even though they have nothing. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. That's a really good point. Well, I, I want to talk about I want to talk about Inara and I want to yeah. talk about um, the magistrate's son who I neglected to write down his name, but it really doesn't matter that much. Because, you know, to me, this really does nicely align with, um, I think, Jane's uh, plot in this episode where it's all about sort of finding yourself. Yeah. And to one, I don't know, to one degree, it's it seems a little out of place. On the other hand, it does. It's there, obviously, because he is the one who gets them yeah, out of this situation. Yeah, there's a plot reason to it, but also the thematic reason. And, I mean, this is what the show, the show does very good job of. That sublot is is character. It's giving us more of who Inara is in her yeah, job. Yeah, that's really, um, that's. I think that's mostly why it's important for this yeah, episode. But it's also at the same time theme that larger theme of finding yourself and and plot because again he this is the after his experience with Inara he has you know become self possessed enough to you know defy his father. So you know and I you do, can you can kind of see that that this would maybe be one of the major reasons why companions are so desired. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is something that, you know, I've known a couple high-class hookers in my day and a lot of them, you know, will say the job is part is t- part therapy as much as anything else. Mm-hmm. Um and you can definitely see that being part of, you know, Inara is hired to make a man out of this son well, uh, of this boy. Well, what Inara does is she, you know, she obviously she has only one night with him, but she teaches him some of the finer points of conversation mm-hmm. about ritual, about you know all of those things. But more, more, more importantly, that you know being a man isn't a switch you click on, and all this. And these are all themes that we've seen elsewhere. This is this isn't the first place to use this, but at the same time. I mean, I think it works for it. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to argue that this is doing anything, you know, uh, uh, revelatory. No, I mean, this is this is kind of a standard plot in a lot of things. But I, I think it's interesting, f- mostly for Inara, because it does. You know, I really the one thing that I do really like about the show I'm finding on this this rewatch for me is that I'm really intrigued by the companions. I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff there. And one of the things that I really like about this episode is that Inara is really painted as someone who doesn't have any fear of anybody. You know, she is she is dismissive of the magistrate to his yeah. face. 
while he doesn't even realize what's happening. And I love how she she's is very you know, charming. But she, I love and I love the escalation that she does because she's at first saying, oh, this is, you know, this is a sacred ritual space of union, you know, and oh, he'll be fine. No, you need to leave. Like, you know. And that's what I really like about it is that Inara is not afraid to tell this guy to leave. Because there are very few cons- uh, she's usually very in control and in charge and she knows part of it's because she knows she has the 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 entire weight of the guild to back her up i mean if anything happens you know the guild is sending its assassins after her but yeah. a- after whoever does it but you know at the same time i mean she does have these it, from what we we learn at the end of Shindig, you know, she can place a black mark on somebody and they're never going to see a companion again. And that's probably going to have even further repercussions. I mean, we see Simon's father worried about something showing up on his permanent record that he walked in to pick up his son from mm-hmm. jail. Imagine yeah. what his, the record looks like of somebody who disrespects a companion in that way. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because that just made me realize that uh, the companions – are perhaps one of the only markers of civilized life that make it out there because mm. obviously they've made a point over and over again to say that the the um the alliance doesn't yes. have really much of a presence in, on the border planets and moons yeah but it's... but the the reach of the companion is very very long it may even be longer than the alliance and of course yeah. the companions guild is using soft power and not hard power the companions guild does not have warships flying around in space the same way that the alliance does but no but in a way isn't the companion's power a lot more secure than the alliance's power in that way yeah <laughs> like anara doesn't seem as worried as some of as the alliance people we've met so far yeah um, i mean she doesn't seem worried at all see like because yeah that that's that is making me wonder because yes all of these magistrates and stuff we're seeing are kind of like real-world colonial governors, and you'll read, you know, so-and-so, and he was the governor of a town in Florida in, you know, 1600, and he used that position to amass all this wealth for himself. You know, people who take these, you know, far-off commissions in order to plunder his mind, and that's obviously what these magistrates are doing. They're the entire representative of the alliance, and they're probably, yeah, it's true, they're probably not getting many visitors. Yeah. And one wonders... Yeah, why would anybody come to this planet? Yeah, one wonders if Anara is unusual in that regard. Like, how many of the companions are really traveling? Because yeah, I, don't the, know. You know, yeah. That, I mean, that's the in Shindig. He, you know, the 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 guy, you know, basically, you know, wants her to be his personal companion, which we can definitely see as the thing. Sure, sure. Um, and I would assume that might be the goal for many people who are companions. You know. To just, all right, I'm going to find somebody really rich and powerful. I'm going to be his personal companion, maybe, or maybe his wife. And then, you know, that's going to be a very nice life for myself. That's, in a way, their attempt to get into that, you know, that that's their social mobility. But obviously for Inara, there are many reasons why that's not her goal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 that, that only makes me wonder if companions actually are maybe even legally allowed to get married, but that's a side, that's uh, yeah. a side question. I mean, I, I would guess based on the context of that particular conversation, it does seem like, you know, he's saying, look, I, you know, you deserve to live in bed. You should live here, beat, as my paid companion. And there's an almost imperceptible, like, change in her where, you know, I, I, I got that the sense from that that being a wife is on the table, but, you know, hmm. she doesn't even... And I think it's really interesting how they do characterize the magistrate at the beginning of when he meets her because, 
you know, certainly the guy in Shindig paid for Inara and he owned her for that, you know, ball. And yeah. he's very, you know, when she she meets him and he says, oh, don't call me Mr. Only the people I own call me Mr. And he's obviously saying it to be very gracious to her as, you know, no, you know, you are I, – I don't own you. I'm just, you know, con- contracting your services kind of thing. But at the same time – so blithe about the fact that he owns people. And also, frankly, I mean, it, yeah, that's very true. And I think also it was said an episode or two ago that, that companions can break contracts. And if they do, it, it, it does not look badly on the con- companion. Yeah. It looks badly on the person that they contract yeah, with. Yeah, exactly. But I think at the end of the day, though, maybe to wrap this up, is to say that Inara has the same sort of desire for, for freedom, quote-unquote, or yes. to live a life outside of the strictures of the central planets that the rest of the Serenity's crew does. And it may be true the companions are not generally flying around outside of the central planets. Yeah. Maybe Inara's a special case. Maybe she isn't. But she doesn't seem to she doesn't seem to value the same sorts of things that the people on the central planets do. No, and even she like, doesn't you know, take this job because of the money. She takes this job because she, fi- you know, she finds the idea of, you know, meeting this person, this boy. And, you know, what, why, why is he so, you know, meek? What is, I he, mean, in a know, very, what, what she obviously knows the kind of relationship he has with his father yeah. walking in. And I think she feels that this is a place where she can help, which is well on a, on a fundamental level. I think that Inara views her mission or her, um, her calling in life yeah. to almost be a religious one. Yeah. She the, does have a very, in the same way that book does. Yeah. I mean, maybe spiritual or, I mean, she is a, Again, I associate her very much with art. She is almost a muse in some way. I mean, if you want to, you know, that's kind of how I picture muses, you know, wearing mm-hmm. pretty dresses and, you know, yeah. doing, you know, painting all day. And every so often they, you know, find somebody that they're attracted to for whatever reason and, Absolutely. you know, gift them with a bit of creativity and then move on. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, really, one thing I really like about her scene is when... uh the son is talking about, you know, oh, somebody, you know, and he's telling the story of Jane as, you know, oh, and he left this, and she immediately assumes it's Mal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and I think that has a lot more to do with Inara's love of Mal. Of course. But, I mean, that that's a, you know, we've seen Inara in different moments, and she is very different when she's by, her, again, by herself or thinks Mal is not going to find out. So yeah. this is a lot closer to her true feelings. And, you know, it's just, oh, he's very noble. He thinks of himself as a criminal, but he's not. And uh, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I like that she's a, she hears about a noble act, and she immediately assumed, you know. It's Mal, yeah. I you know at the end of the day I do like that and I think that that at the end of the day if this doesn't tell us that much more about Jane than we already knew it at least does make his character a little bit deeper and a little bit more interesting yeah to me. and and definitely I've come around to to Jane in the past few episodes so yeah. um I, I I yeah I think it was a fine episode you know I I'll I'll be curious to see what what the rest of it is I'm actually really excited for next week because I think that is the episode that gives us the backstory of how they all got together or at least how Mal got the ship so is it out of gas yeah 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 so yep well. If you, oh, and I should mention as well, just before we do that, um, Kaylee and Simon are just adorable. Oh. And they need to fuck already. <laughs> do they actually ever fuck? Uh, I, spoilers. Okay. Well, if you have any thoughts on the episode we just discussed, Janestown, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at tuninginshow.com. You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash truckaboutshow if you would like to uh, give us a little bit of support for our podcasts. 
or a lot of support or, for. We we take donations of all sizes. Yes, one dollar, one billion dollars a month. So if Donald Trump is out there and wishes to support our podcast, that could be our moral decision. Our social media username where you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is Tuning In Show. Next week, we're going to be talking about the episode Out of Gas. Mac, why do you...